Hello, welcome to Portals of Presence podcast. This is your host, Nathan Gangadine. Thank you for coming back. This is uh, just the second episode of this series, which uh, has no cap on it because the space in which we are speaking is entirely about upgrading literally anything that can be talked about. Um, whatever could I mean by that? Um, as it turns out, we've been given this amazing gift of being able to speak and it comes so free that we don't even realize that we're borrowing from a very incredible, uh, code to even be able to utter a word or make a sentence. Um, we never really learned how we do it. We just learn it. By example, for example, when, when uh, a kid learns to walk, the parent doesn't go, now you've got to move your right foot and then move your left foot and move your right foot, right? Because the kid would be like, what's the left foot and what's the right foot? It does, you don't need to say it. You don't need to um, describe the mechanics in order to teach something explicitly. Um, but we learn. Oh, do we ever learn? But I don't believe most people on this planet ever understand what they're learning when they're learning to speak, which goes hand in hand with learning to, to think, which goes hand in hand with learning to process their feelings, their thoughts, their experiences, um, to, to draw conclusions, to make decisions. Um, it literally governs everything that we do and everything that we say. So what is this invisible code that's running in the background, just like the ones and zeros of your computer? What, you know, when you look at your computer screen or your, even your uh, smartphone screen or, or anything really in, in the digital world, um, you're not looking at ones and zeros. You are actually looking at ones and zeros, but you're not seeing ones and zeros. In other words, digital code that hides behind the appearance, really try to translate this over to you. You may not realize it, but what allows you to process uh, what's coming at you in every moment, whether it's me speaking or the, the cars on the road that are driving and whizzing by or all the countless stimulus that's coming at us. We don't realize how fast uh, we are interpreting. Zero latency, it seems. And by latency, it's actually an audio term. Um, when you have latency in a recording, like when you're recording a song, for example, or, or even just a, a, a voice like I'm doing now. If there's high latency, that means I make a sound and then you can hear the gap between when I say it and when it comes back through the headphones. Um, so there's a, there's a difference between uh, a difference in time and it's usually milliseconds, right? So we call that latency. Well, we of course love low latency because it, as it's happening, you can hear it as it's happening and there's no delay, right? So let's translate that over also to our, to our interpretation experience and, and make no mistake, you're interpreting all the time. <clears throat> and it's funny, as simple and obvious as that point is, uh, most people don't realize <laughs> that that's happening or if they have had the thought, oh, I I'm interpreting at some point or another, it's not... Uh, integrated to a degree that you are continuously aware that you are interpreting. But if you are brave enough to face the fact that you are interpreting, then you have to, that has to go, to go hand in hand with realizing that, well, heck, what is 
governing my interpretation process. How do I know that what I know is worthy of knowing? You know, how do I know if anything that I'm seeing is real? How do I know that my, uh, my interpretation um, code and programs are accurate? And, and that's, a, that's, you know, <laughs> rolls off the tongue here, but I feel like I need to almost put a warning disclaimer before these podcasts, because if you really hear what I'm saying, it could rock you and rock you right to the core. But I promise you, you're safe. You're safe. In fact, if we don't look at this, we're way more not safe <laughs> than, if, than when we embark on this wonderfully thrilling and appropriately um, scary journey of going to the foundations of what we see our lives, the foundation of our lives, how many agreements and agreements may be too strong of a word, but how many ideas that were very, very important about who we are, what we are, what's going on. How many of them did we just inherit without even realizing it? And then we just bought it at face value because we deeply trusted our parents and we trusted our teachers and we trusted the television and we trusted um, everything coming at us enough to, uh, absorb and integrate and embody the same exact codes that everyone around us is living uh, and agreements. And yes, there's, there's, it's wildly varied across cultures uh, and even within one culture like America, for example, you know, so many different races and colors and mindsets and, and um, religions and all of that, but uh, that goes for the whole world. And Yet there's something fundamentally similar about all of them, not just similar, but the same about all of them. Some of the deepest agreements. Now, one of the ways that I like to talk about this, and, and I still haven't come to addressing the main title of this podcast just yet, but bear with me. My favorite way right now to speak of that, which we don't speak of this code, this hidden code that tells you what to see, but doesn't help us see it, is the objectifying code. It's, and when you say objectifying, you may have heard that in a number of different contexts. Like if a person felt objectified, um, you know that's not a good thing, right? It's like, don't treat me like an object. I'm not a, I'm not a thing. I'm a person. And I felt objectified when you said such and such, right? Well, that's, that's a big infraction on the sacredness of life and the sacredness of the person. So we may think, well, I don't do that. But what if you didn't realize that way in the background, the level of the ones and zeros of your low latency, zero latency mind interpretation process, you are, it's inherently objectifying of everything it touches. And when I say touches, everything your mind perceives everything your consciousness touches or sees or smells or tastes or, or thinks is inherently objectified. Well, that sounds crazy. Like, how could you even say that? That would mean that we're like machines. Well, you don't feel like a machine and, and you're not. But what if you do actually, and you just don't know what you've lost touch with? What if there is a deeper experience of being alive, a deep, uh, a deeper way of feeling, a more natural way of feeling, seeing, understanding, learning everything 
right? It's all encompassing everything in our lives. <clears throat> what if there was a, what if everything we thought was n- normal was actually deeply objectified and our code is doing it, but we, we can't change it because we don't know that there's a code governing it. And no one has taught us how to see that code. No one's taught us how to, uh, instead of look at, to turn the attention to see our the way that we look at. In other words, being critical in, in, in the deepest sense, you know, and that's really what we revere. I mean, to be critical, to have a critical mind, not not critical in the sense of like a critic. Okay, that's that's a little different because if someone's being critical, it sounds almost like uh, judgmental and opinionated, right? But think about the ultimate uh, value of being critical is to be able to see clearly, to know what's right and what's not, and to um, what's the truth. Whether we realize it consciously or not, we revere the truth. But then who's clear enough to know what the truth is? And sure, we hand it over to our, you know, whether it's our justice system or we hand it over to our parents because they're older than us or we hand it over to a celebrity because they've made it and they must have something going on or or we hand it over to the news because we trust that they're being unbiased. Just saw a commercial about CNN today and it was just an apple on the screen. You may have seen it. It says, this is an apple. You can look at it from the left and you can look at it from the right but it's still an apple. And then it says CNN. And that rocked me, not because of the way they wanted to rock the viewer, but because of the, what they didn't even realize they were saying. They were saying that we have the neutral, clear truth. We are not opinionated. We are not coming from the left or the right. We have the truth. That's a very big thing to say, especially in this day and age, you know, and there's a lot of this fake news thing being thrown around. And, and so their very identity of being trustworthy, the most trusted name in the news. And by the way, I I love CNN. So if someone from CNN is listening, just know that I, I love you. Um, I appreciate what you guys do. I am grateful to be able to turn on the the news and, and see uh, a a window into what's going on out there. Um, It's important to me. And so I thank you for what you do. And I think you're, we're as a culture on our way to getting to uh, truth. What is truth? That's what it really comes down to, right? But, but it's inherently bankrupt when we say it's, it's still an apple. Well, you're saying that and who's going to argue with it? It's an apple. But what if the objectified apple is untrue? So when we say apple, This is hard to see, and I understand it's hard to see. When we say Apple or human or free speech or president or son or happiness or any word that we could possibly say, the meaning of that object, and there's the word, it's an object. In other words, (laughs) like it or not, you're objectifying it with the very, the very code you speak, just by default, you can't not objectify it. That is, of course, unless you realize that that's not the only way to see and speak. 
So what if, let's say there's two apples there. So when you, when you do that, you say you can look at it from the left and look at it from the right, but if you look at it from the center, it's an apple. If you see it, it's an apple, it's an apple, it's an apple, right? But what, and this, this actually speaks entirely to the point, and I know this is hard to get, and you may have a hard time following, but it will sink in more and more over time. When you say it's an apple, it's an objectified apple. It's an object of your mind. It's, uh, it's subjected to your lens, and then you say, because no one can argue that it's an apple, an apple's an apple's an apple, you don't realize that you're using, you're leveraging a code of objectification of all things spoken and all things pointed at. All things are objectified and you're borrowing from that and the, the irrefutability of an apple's an apple's an apple to say that we've got the truth. And who is going to argue with that? And I feel like I need to say that if I even saw that a year ago, I would have been like, oh, wow, yeah. But even just in the last year, I've noticed, oh, my goodness, as the science that I'm attempting to share with you now deepens. And when I say science, I'm talking about the science of science, the source of science, the, 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 the critical thinking at the deepest level. It deepens to a point when you can start to see, okay, if, if science is going to be science, it has to be scientific about its own lens. If truth is going to be critical, it has to be critical about its own lens. And you can't, you can't just say an apple's an apple's an apple, and then nobody can argue with it. And that's why you're trustworthy because that does not make you trustworthy. It just, it, it, it might buy some time in terms of coercing the viewers into believing a little bit longer. Yeah. You know, they're the real deal because they're not looking at it from the left to the right. So they're the real deal, you know, and that's, and I'm, I know what I'm saying. I'm calling you to, 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 to do news in a deeper level because news reporting is supposed to be clear, unbiased, but how are you really going to do that if the very foundations of the way we see are inherently biased? So you can get really close to, you can try to find the thing that's the least amount of people would disagree to, but that doesn't mean you have the truth. So what does this have to do with the stresses of spirituality? Oh my goodness, this seems so far from it. And even I'm, you know... <clears throat> amazed at, at this, how this is unfolding. Cause I, I don't have a script. Uh, I'm just, I'm just going. Um, the point of the point is in the, in, in the foundation, when the foundation is essentially, then when I say the foundation, the foundation of every utterance, every word, every thought, every truth, every fact, every uh, false, every, everything, everything needs that perceiver. But every perceiver is interpreting and every interpretation process has a code. This is where we go deeper than um, we've ever gone, really. Uh, we start to see, okay, what is, when I come to an awareness of what's real, what's true, how, how many people ask, how did I get to that? How did I even trust that in the first place? You know, this is a very important thing to ask. Otherwise, we're saying, well... I don't even want to look about it. It sounds, sounds too hard. I don't want to have to think about that. Well, you'd better start thinking about it because if you don't, you are using a code that might be using you and you don't even realize it. In other words, you are, 
uh, enabled by a processing, uh, like a mind operating process, right? Uh, just like our, our computers have op, uh, an operating system, you may be governed by an operating system and you don't even know how it works. But what if at the very, uh, the very heart of that operating system is doing something that's, uh, um, uh, I'm going to just go ahead and say it, it's violent. Objectification is violent. What if our very mind operating process is inherently violent? In, in what sense? Well, the whole don't objectify me, I'm a person thing is exactly what I'm speaking to. That we know. So why do we say that? Well, we say life is sacred. You don't hurt someone. You don't harm someone. You don't abuse a child. You don't rape a woman or a man or anyone. You don't uh, kill, mindlessly kill. You know, what, what is the ethic, the unifying ethic behind all that? Life is sacred. But then you have to ask, well, what is life? Life, ooh, you can't objectify it, can you? You can't make life a thing because then you're doing exactly what we're talking about. So life is even objectified. Well, if life is objectified, not because we want to, but because we can't help it. All we have to do is think of life and it's an, it's an object of the mind. If I said to you, what is life? What would your definition be? Well, definitions are inherently objectifying. You know, do you ever feel like someone defined you and it was had nothing to do with you and they were using that code on you and they weren't qualified to see you? Why? Because their interpretation mechanism, their lens, their operating system is not connected to the sacredness of life. In fact, it's denying the sacredness of life continuously. So then what I'm saying is really big. I'm saying we're all violators. We're all violators, not because we wanted to be, not because we said, oh, I'm going to violate. Consider for a moment that every single last violation happening now and all through time since the beginning of time, all was caused and made possible and brought to you by an initial condition. One that we have not been able to see because it is how we see. One that we've not been able to think about because it's how we think. So that's exactly what this Portals of Presence podcast is, you know, is seeking to help you begin to develop that deeper kind of seeing, a source seeing that's able to see the seeing from a deeper level. Now, I have videos on my website, unumbeing.com. I think the first, first, one of the first videos up there is precisely addressing this point on a deeper level. And it uses a technology pioneered and discovered and developed by my father. And so I, I always want to give him credit for, for having the wherewithal to see the necessity of it. And, and I, it took me a long time to get why it's so powerful and why it's so necessary and, and, um, and getting humanity out of the, the, the doldrums that we've been in for so long that we've grown accustomed to. And we're trying to fix all of our problems in that place. And we haven't been able to. <clears throat> so if we're not calling it out, what happens? If we're not calling out the real problem, all we can do, just like medicine, um, 
you know, a kind of allopathic medicine approach is to look at, right? It's an objectifying kind of lens that looks at the body as an object and as a chain reaction. So if something, if you've got cancer in your lungs, we're going to say, were you a smoker? And we go, okay, smoking caused your cancer. And, you know, and, and that translates to everything. So if you have an ailment, it's definitely a linear chain reaction and you've got to figure out what it was. But what we're going to do in the meantime is suppress the symptoms. We're going to say, I don't like this rash, this symptom. I don't like this, this tumor. I don't like this, um, you know, this, the symptoms that I'm feeling. So what do we do? We take the medicines and the prescriptions that suppresses, that su suppresses the symptoms. Well, that's an analogy for exactly where humanity is now. We know there's problems. We know that the problems are, are everywhere. And I think if everyone is to be honest, I think deep down, we all feel like there's no hope in a way. Why? Because precisely in a way that's smart, because as long as we stay in the objectifying mind space, there is no hope, <laughs> but we don't know how to say that. Now, ironically, it's calling that out is when hope really comes alive again, because you can go, oh, that's what's causing all of this disarray. But what happens when you try to get better and try to heal the issue when you're using the same mind that caused the issue to begin with? Well, you're going to get deeper. And this is where spirituality comes in, because whether you realize it or not, everyone is the same in this one core way. We're all sharing this objectifying mind process, and it, and it can be so different. It can be uh, it can be Republican, it can be Democrat, it can be uh, Christian, it can be Muslim, it could be um, yeah, I mean you you name it. You get the idea. It can be uh, atheist. Uh, it can be um, you know open minded, closed minded, uh, agnostic, spiritual. Which brings us to uh, now 20 minutes into our sharing and brings us to the point that I'm really wanting to bring through here. Whether you realize it or not, we're all sharing the same code. That code is cutting us off from ourselves. We don't realize this is happening. It happens slowly. We inherit it just like the baby watching mom and dad walk and magically that baby starts to walk without the, the, without the directions. <clears throat> well, we learned how to talk. We learned how to be without directions. We, we got it between the lines. We learned how to be, but that in that way of being was inherently and deeply um, uh, painful. And, and because it's kind of like a slow uh, alienation, I mean, one of the ways you can, I think we could all relate to it is if we can just think back to when we were kids before we started to become self-conscious and, and more shut down and more critical and judgmental. And when I say critical, I mean in that cutting way, in the objectifying way, not in the loving source way, scientific truth critical, but we started to become self-critical and, and, and uh, self-deprecating and, and scared. Um, I mean, this happens really young and it's, again, like I said, it's gradual, but think about what we lose in that process. Just the sheer joy. We watch children and we go, oh my God, they have so much energy and you hear a kid's laughter and it's just so uplifting because it's so genuine. It's not fake. It's not anything other than just the joy. Right. And we may have moments of that still when we're older and stuff, but you, I think you could probably agree that as time goes by, we think we call it aging. We think it's a natural process and no one seems to question that, you know, it may actually be uh, an unnatural process, what we call aging. But we, we start to get used to this feeling 
we don't know what's going on. It's like we're, it's almost like the glimmer and the shimmer of the, 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 the magic of childhood gets filed away as, well, that's a kid. That's what kids are like, you know, and, you know, we're not supposed to keep feeling that we're just supposed to become adults and, you know, get a job and, you know, make it and make enough money and, uh, da, 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 and find the house and get the car and worry about the children and whether they're going to be able to make it and try to get them into life so that they can go into the same process and then you retire and then you get old and then you die and then the next generation has to go through it too. But that's life, right? That's what we say. That's life. What if it's not? What if what we call life, the subjectified life, objectified life is not life at all, but we've gotten so used to Again, the alienation from real life that we don't even know that anything's missing anymore. And if that's our foundation and we're operating from there, I mean, you can see the fallacy of that, like trying to get better when at the ground floor that we're standing on, we're so, it's so corrupt already. <clears throat> So this is serious stuff and, and it's exciting if you can he hear what I'm saying and really follow me. It's really exciting because it's like, oh my God, yes, I don't have to this. And doesn't it make sense that we don't have to like, you know, try to figure it out and go find the right guru or find the right medicine or find the right this or find the right that or find the right job or find the right thing or accomplish this, accomplish that. All of the stress, you know, I'm talking about the stress of spirituality in this, in this podcast, but it's really the stress of everything, uh, the stress of being cut off from real life and not knowing it. It's like, wow, if I really want to make my way back to life, it's actually, a, a, and I love the term badass. For me, what badass means is it's not, it's no, it's no softy stuff here we're talking about. We're talking about a real rigorous journey uh, in, in the most wonderful way, exciting, thrilling, uh, um, invigorating journey of tapping the true dormant powers of our critical mind, the, the capital C critical, the, the, the real truth force, which is uh, an English translation of a, of the, the word Satyagraha, which was, became popular with, with Gandhi. <clears throat> One man who with truth force was able to shift the whole, the whole state of India, the whole, the whole, um, you know, of course the, the British rule that was, you know, ruling India and made India a nation unto itself. With what? With truth force. Whoa, it's such a powerful force. So that's kind of the level of what we're talking about here. Now, there's no bad guy here. There's no specific bad guy. We can't point the finger anymore at the government or the Illuminati or the British or the this or the that or whatever we've looked at as the bad guys. That's all wasting time, guys. We got we to gotta see that there's an invisible bad guy here, and it's what I'm calling out right now. The invisible bad guy <laughs> is is the objectifier the, that we are all part participant in. And, and, it, and it continues to rule as long as we uh, postpone looking at this. And this is exciting because it means it's like, I, you know, if, if I'm to be honest with you, I, I'm relieved that there's not a bad guy. But, but humans have been trying to find the bad guy, whether it's the devil or Mara or Lucifer or whatever, you know, names for a long, long time. 
we've personified the problem again, like bad medicine. We've personified the symptoms when we don't realize that the, that even that is again, a symptom of the objectifier. So this is about going, oh my God, it's not out there. It's right in me. It's right in all of us, but where in me? Is it in my shoulder? It's in my chest? Is it in my leg? Is it in my head? Well, it's in your mind. Well, where's the mind? Well, a lot of people say the mind is in the brain, but again, that's just a perspective. The mind, but we're going to call it the mind nonetheless, wherever you might see that to be, the mind is the, the house of the being. And that house, if it's an objectified house and an objectifying house, that being is suffering and we're all suffering. And this is where we meet. And so every endeavor throughout the planet, whether it's scientific, atheistic, uh, religious, agnostic, spiritual, which I'm going to focus on spiritual in a moment, it's all the same endeavor. What? To fix the problem, to fix the fact that we know on some deep level that there is a, a, a chasm, an unspeakably deep chasm between where we are and where we are supposed to be. We can feel it. And every single religion uh, addresses this condition. But even if we take it out of religion, it has nothing to do with religion in and of itself. It has to do with reality. It has to do with with facing the obvious truth that we are suffering. We're in deep pain. We know it. It's not a matter of opinion. It's, it's just the evidence is glaring when you can see from the, from the real critical eyes, the, 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 I mean, the real <clears throat> critical mind, I meant to say, because the critical eyes are the, the ones that look at, but the criti critical mind is the enabled, the, the empowered mind, the, the deeply rational mind that's able to see the rationality itself. And when we have that, we can see, oh my God, that's, we're trying to get back to, to, to that. And I call it the source a lot. We're trying to get back to the source. We're trying to get back to the origin. We're trying to get to the truth. We're trying to get to reality. So science, um, atheists, religious folks, spiritual folks, see where, what unites us is we're all together in the same endeavor. But we're also all the same in the same, making the same mistakes, which is not being able to take that extra step back that I'm asking you to take right now as you follow me. I'm focusing on spirituality because <clears throat> the spiritual being, which um, up until recently, relatively recently, I just kind of um, took um, refuge in the name spirituality and um, being spiritual. I even remember a short, a shortly after 9-11 being on an airplane and I was writing just about my own process and about, about you know, bringing the structures down uh, that I felt were created in me. I mean, I, don't, I didn't realize what I was saying at the time, both in just the magnitude of what I was, I was um, trying to face in myself, which is exactly now what I'm talking about all these years later. But also, I didn't realize how naive I was being by writing something like that on an airplane, which I was. And um, I didn't know that anything was wrong. In fact, it, w it was a very enjoyable flight. And um, I do remember getting a weird look from the 
stewardess. <laughs> but other than that, everything seemed fine. Turns out the guy sitting next to me looked over my shoulder because of the way I look. Um, he thought I could be a suspect and everyone was really on edge um, about where the next attack would happen. And uh, I looked the part <clears throat> and according to the journal entry he was reading about taking down the structures um, and they will fall and things like this. It, he, you know, come to think of it, he had good reason to, to be worried. I think I would have been worried too. As I got off the plane and, you know, everything was fine, of course. And I think the guy sitting next to me realized that he might've pegged me wrong. Um, I got surrounded by cops, uh, and airport officials as soon as I got off the plane, which you can imagine my, you know, degree of being stunned in that moment. Like, Oh my God, I'm not, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. And they're like, they're like, let me, let us see your journal. And I was like, uh, here, uh, you can look at it, but I promise you I'm not religious. I'm, I'm spiritual. And I, f I took refuge in that and I'm a spiritual person. I'm, I'm, but that doesn't mean I'm religious. I'm spiritual. So I don't, I'm not, I'm not like, you know, here to like push Allah or anything. Like I was trying to defend myself as not being a religious fanatic and, 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 and the, therefore spiritual, the whole point of the story is I'm trying to say that that was when I, when I first said to anyone, <laughs> I'm spiritual. And so that word meant to me, the place I could go that wasn't religious, wasn't closed minded, a uh, version of scientific atheist, it was, I'm open. So I really liked that I could find a word that was me. They, they let me go, by the way, really quick. They realized I was, I was harmless and sent me on my way. But nonetheless, uh, I see that as a moment of my uh, starting my spiritual journey, October after 9-11. And all the years that followed... From going into to hippie fests and, um, uh, you know, going to uh, my yoga training in San Francisco and um, living in Sedona, uh, which was, you know, it's a spiritual mecca of the world and, and going to drum circles and uh, going to parties where the, the normal conversations would be things of controversial conspiracy theories about aliens and, and, uh, and chemtrails. And it was exciting to me that people would be willing to talk about these kinds of things because I came from Philly area where it was much more kind of straight and narrow sort of uh, mindset, generally speaking. And I was kind of one of the weirdos because, you know, my father raised me to, my parents raised me to be open-minded. Both my parents are very open-minded and, and, <clears throat> And, I, and I'm grateful for that because they allowed me to be open-minded about everything. And I got exposed to things like the, the Mayan calendar and all of that way before it became a popular thing. Um, the Mayan calendar, uh, you know, uh, spirits, ghosts, uh, how to, how to uh, do out-of-body experiences. I'm talking about the ages of like 13, 14, 15. Like I'm getting into all of this, you know, um, what those around me would call kind of woo-woo stuff, right? But I loved it because it had the feeling of at least keeping things wide open. And I felt that the culture was so close-minded and so dogmatic about what's the only way to see reality that, you know, of course I'm going to go to spirituality. It's the other place I could go. 
besides any of the constricting and restricting mindsets that I saw all around me. And I'm proud of myself for that. And I'm proud of anybody who has the bravery to, to say, you know, I'm going to find my own way. And I did. I got, I got out of high school. I went one semester of college and I thought, you know what? I cannot do this to my mind anymore. I can't do this to my being anymore. I felt the suffocation of it. And that's when I came to Sedona and I started to discover spirituality and everyone's talking, you know, all this, this exciting new stuff. And you can go to, you know, chanting and you can go to, um, it, it was just, it, and then of course with that, they, they, you know, I don't want to say drugs. But, you know, the substances of like, you know, marijuana and opening the mind in those ways and the, the, the substances that people were doing that, that make you experience things differently and see the energy and nature and see the connection and all this stuff. And so just imagine a young version of me, a young, a pretty, pretty uh, wild uh, young man. And those, those times just hungry for life and really big on doing anything that made me feel like I was out of the box. And like I said, going to these festivals and changing my name, you know, throwing off my identities, um, really just being free in that way. And it was a very important part of my life. I actually, I look back on it and smile uh, because I needed to do that. I needed to go through those, those motions and, and, you know, but it, it, it evolved, you know, after going to the festivals and going to the Burning Man's and going to, um, you know, workshops of all kinds, spiritual workshops, guru kinds of things, getting channelings from beings who were b- supposedly able to channel disembodied consciousnesses and, and, uh, and really giving them my trust and, you know, even paying for sessions and looking for catharsis, be it through, through breath work or, um, or some other form of, uh, what I was doing essentially was trying to break out of the confines of the objectifying mind without knowing that that's what I was doing. I was, I was doing to, to link it back to when I said it's bad medicine. Um, it was totally innocent and good hearted and, and, you know, wonderful that I wanted to feel outside of the box. But what I was doing was what you would exactly expect to be using the same objectifying mind and thought process to come up with the solutions. And what what were those solutions? The solutions were, well, travel, be free, be wild, change your name, Try mushrooms, um, you know, experiment with this and that and uh, go do breath. That's it. That's it. It's breath, you know, and uh, have a real good experience with breath and, uh, and or, or uh, you know, change the way you say everything. And, you know, I'm not going to say anything negative. I'm only going to say positive things and see how that works. Guys, I tried everything, everything. <laughs> You know, traveled all these different places, looking, 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 trying, trying, you know, and 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 using, again, innocently and not knowing what I was doing at the time. I had to go through it, but using substances and essentially using myself. That's what it comes down to, using myself to get to spirituality, which, which to me meant connection. It was what I was trying to get back to was to get back to, to source, to get back to, to, to awaken real life. And I knew on some deep level that something was wrong, something was missing and I had to get it back, but I made the classic mistake of thinking it was out there. 
And funny enough, even when you get spiritual enough to go, it's not outside you, it's inside you, you can still spin your wheels because you're still saying an objectified version of inside of you. You don't realize it. It's so deep. It's so, it's, it's the, again, it's the springboard from which we say anything or speak anything. So you can speak. Here's the point, guys. You, you can Act the part of spiritual. And you may not think that you're acting because it's a genuine desire to be spiritual. And I want you to know, as I, as I, as I really go for uh, the jugular here, so to speak, of, of false spirituality, I want you to know it's with utmost love. And that's why I'm telling you my background. I'm telling you my story. And I'm setting up the bigger context of understanding how deep the objectifying mind goes. I mean, I mean no judgment and no criticism of anyone who identifies with being spiritual or new age, um, agnostic or anything in that, in that sphere. Um, because I want you to understand that would be to, to condemn my own self. So I'm, it's not coming from a condemning place. I'm coming from a place of wanting to help you see the futility of attempting to get to source with an objectified version of spirituality, which I know all too well, guys. Please hear me. It's totally coming from love. And I totally want you to feel uh, safe to know that what I'm doing is not trying to take spirituality away. I'm trying to help you find what spirituality is in actuality. But we have to go through this humbling process of realizing that even though you are, you want to be good and even though you say only nice words and even though you never kill anything, like you don't even harm a fly and, you know, I'm just saying examples here and you, and you just, and you're, you're vegan and you're vegetarian or you, you, you don't, you don't want to hurt anybody and you're genuinely kind and nice and loving and you just want everybody to get along like myself. It doesn't mean that you have overcome the source of violence, the objectifier, the deep code, the hidden code, the, 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 the ones and zeros, the operating processes going in, in the background from which you operate are, I'm suggesting unequivocally, are the same as everyone else's, no matter how different your way of doing it is. But here's the stress. Because if spirituality in essence, now if we get to the real deal of like what Jesus was really saying and Buddha was really saying and and all of the spiritual teachings from be here now to return to love to, um, uh, you know, let go and all of the things that we can say, remember everybody can say, everybody can speak. Um, We've heard the expression, you know, talk is cheap. Well, yeah, the talk is cheap from the perspective of all we can do is talk from an opinion place. Anybody can say anything. There is no truth. So it's just blah, 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 and fake news everywhere you turn. But that doesn't mean that's the only way to speak. It doesn't mean that's the only talk there is. That's not the only talk in town. And that's where the, I call them the heavyweights, the Jesus, the Buddha, the Lao Tzu, the Krishna, the Muhammad, the Moses, Abraham teachings, the deep, powerful teachings. And that's from taking from an, uh, 
looking, I'm looking deeper than religions now. Those are the revered figures of the, the associated religions, but I want you to see as the founders uh, of the religion are not the ones they purport to revere. In other words, um, Buddha was not Buddhism. Jesus was not Christianity. Muhammad was not Islam. And I know what I'm saying is earth shaking. And I can, I'm going to just, just so you know, it's not uh, nothing personal. Science is not science with a capital S. Spirituality is not spirituality. So you're starting to get a sense of the difference. So in other words, we don't know that there is actually um, more than one dimension of thought going on here. And that's deadly because the whole point is that we've been, the, the, the heavyweights have been calling us to see that we've been stuck inside of a, of a mind process that's blocking us from being able to hear what, where they, what they're actually saying. And their saying was a being saying, whereas all uh, doctrine becomes a, uh, a report back to news becomes a news report, a story about when the I am the way, the truth, the life of Jesus, let's say, was not a news report. He was embodying and demonstrating and being that which he was calling all humans to come to. <clears throat> That's huge. So, and it's exciting. So just like, as I said, you know, spiritual folks and who identify with spirituality or new age um, mentalities, just know it's nothing personal when I say that spirituality, as we know it today, ain't the real spirituality that we're meant to find. That's exciting. You should be excited to hear that. Uh, not offended. Okay. Same thing. Christians understand that when I'm saying that, 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 uh, objectified Jesus is not Jesus. That's good news. <laughs> Talk about good news. Wow. Jesus is, was saying something that was even more powerful than what we thought, you know, and Jesus didn't need us to deny the other uh, religions. Jesus was trying to call us to the global, the global tribe, you know, where, where Jews and Muslims and Christians and Taoists and Buddhists and, and Sikhs and, uh, you know, and I, and I don't mean to leave out any religion, but we all meet in a, in a, in the source. We all meet in the origin. We must, it, it, we have to, uh, there really isn't a choice. I mean, and if we opt out of that, we are going to disintegrate and that's exactly what we've been seeing. Back to spirituality. Spirituality is kind of an escape. It's it's driven by a, a, a real a, a kind of intelligence that sees. No, it's not just one of them. It's all of them. Well, you can say that again. You can say lowercase s, and it's still not going to fix the problem. It's still not going to get you out of the, the objectifier. So in other words, you can put, instead of just having one figure on your altar, you can put all of them on your altar, but that doesn't mean you've crossed into the space, the higher space, the unum space. I like to call it un, like the unum being of my website. <clears throat> I chose that word for 
a very good reason. The unum is the infinite unum, the, the, the unifying field of all reality that uh, is the same space that, that uh, again, atheists, agnostics, religious folks, and everyone in between and spiritual people all share, right? So you don't just say that. You have to cross into it. You got to get the science. You got to get, well, if that's here and it's, there's no way to be outside of it and it's right here. Oh my God, we're here. Awareness is, I'm here. I can see, I can think, I can, you know, I can be, or you're kind of touching the, 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 the energy here of what Descartes, Descartes was seeing when he was saying, I am, oh my God, I am, you know, that level of, of shift is where we're supposed to be, but we're not feeling it. And that's why I'm saying what I'm calling the objectifying mind, the, the objectifying ones and zeros code of our consciousness, which we inherited and, and keep, keep embodying and keep repeating. And that's samsara to take an Eastern word. That means the eternal wheel of suffering. Um, that's where we're in this kind of samsaric or to take the word from, from the Western religions is the sin is not a bad thing you do, but the state of being in the, the, the alienated from the kingdom of heaven to use those, those words. But if we take it outside of that, just <coughs> health, happiness, you know, let's, let's make it health and happiness or love. And then we're starting to get back into that spirituality realm. It's, it's love. It's all love. You know, we're all one, you know, uh, one love and all of these slogans, right. Which are easy to say, but saying it, if saying it was going to do it, it would be done. Something deeper has to happen because you can say one love and it's just another opinion. When you know that it's not an opinion, deep down, you can't, you can't, it can't be an opinion. That's actually, um, I would go so far as to say scientific truth. But you can't cross love into science. Those are two totally different categories. Wrong. If science has no room for love, then it's not science. So in other words, we're, we're trying to dilate into a, a more, not just a more expanded view but uh, the true unum is, is the space, is the science space, the rational space, the, the truth space that indeed it, it doesn't just put all the same, all the worldviews and all the ideologies on the same altar and call it good. It is the unifying force throughout all of existence, all reality, every iota, every thought, every experience. It's exciting to, to touch that and to get to that. And that's what we're trying to do with spirituality, except we don't realize we are using the same mind process uh, that everyone else is using. So what does that do? It creates an objectified spirituality. What does that look like? Well, that's what, what we're seeing today. And we, we start to go, oh, I want to, I want to see, I want to, I want to feel that I want to open my mind. So I'm going to take ayahuasca and I'm going to go on a journey and it's going to heal me. And if I take that, it's going to heal me. It's going to make me feel better. And then I'll feel it. Or I'm going to do yoga and yoga is going to make me flexible and I'm going to stop eating meat and stop drinking. And that's going to make my body clear. And then I'll feel it. Or I'm going to start breathing. I'm going to become a breath master and then I'll feel it and I'll know it and I'll be there. And then if there's just enough of us doing that, then we'll get there and we're going to, we're going to all 
you know, uh, sit down on 11.11 at 11.11 and, and, and have the same thought of one love and then it'll do it and we're going to do it and so everyone's going to come together and we're all, all going to make it together. You're using the same exact objectifying logic that generated all of the hatred and, and negativity that you, you're seeing and you don't like, but you, you have to be willing to see the deeper cause. And if you don't, you're going to think that by saying power of now, you're going to think by, by being spiritual, which means what? You never say anything negative and you can't be angry and you can't uh, eat food because it's not spiritual. Or you're going to think, you know, you, you, you're, if you have a negative thought, you're going to have to suppress that. You're going to have to pretend like it's not there or you're going to have to, you know, uh, you put a smile on your face all the time because if you're unhappy, then you're not spiritual. And there's this kind of cult-like unspoken expectation at these gatherings that are happening where if you're the real deal, then you're going to have to be, be only love, which is L, lowercase L, you know, loving. So what's that? It's the attributes of love. So what's that? You're kind, you're nice, you're sweet. You got to say the words, you know, I love you, brother. And you get to hug everybody, even if you don't want want to, or you're not feeling it, you find yourself in a, uh, a disingenuous kind of version of, of spirituality and love. And now you're, you're in it. And worse yet, you become a teacher of it. So now you've really got to play the part and you can't have bad feelings. You can't say, uh, you know, a bad word. You, <laughs> you become trapped in an identity of spirituality that doesn't even let you be. And you've made all kinds of assumptions. You can't wear shoes now because that disconnects you from the earth. And that's not spiritual because if you're going to be spiritual, you got to be connected to Gaia. So don't wear shoes. Or if you do wear shoes, just know that you're disconnected and that's that. And such limited thinking in a spiritual style. And so that limited thinking which is echoed. Again, try to see behind the, the appearance level. If you can peel back the appearance level of the religions, the spirituality and the science and the news and uh, the, the pop culture, pull back this appearance level. You'll see the same insidious, uh, relentless violence, objectification at the deepest level. And my call today is centered around spiritual people because I think it hit me today, just as, as I see myself, I was going to spirituality because it was the most out of the box, but it was still in the box. And in that, I'm also speaking to the people who are following others right now in a spiritual way, whether it's a book or an author or, you know, a guru celebrity of any kind out there, <clears throat> or it's, you know, any kind of uh, life coach or anything like that. I'm speaking largely to you because what's driving you to go to them and put your trust in them is golden. And what, what drives all of us to want to get better and feel better is golden. That means you're alive. Celebrate that. But don't make the same mistake I did. By thinking that you can get it by playing the part or by, by believing in somebody who's confident 
And just when somebody speaks with confidence does not mean that they're outside of the objectifying mind space. It might mean that they've gotten really good at believing themselves despite the fact that they haven't gotten to the real foundations. And so if you start to follow someone like that, you're going on a ride, you're going on their ride. And guys, I did that. And and, and I can't blame anyone for that except myself. I, I needed to go through that. And, and all the suffering that it caused me and the extremes that I went to, to, to get to the source um, until I, I became so exhausted and ragged and tattered from it that I, I had to see on a deeper level. So it really is a plea. Um, it's a loving plea. It's a, it's a rescue call to those of you who are naively and, and open-heartedly buying into and giving over your trust to somebody who may not, may, may not have done their homework. And you're, you, because you want to feel better, you are willing to almost do anything. You're willing to try anything and you're willing to normalize the extremes that we are willing to put ourselves through to get there. And when you're invested in that, what I'm saying could um, cause a defensive response in you. And I understand that because when you're identified with getting better, you know, that part of you that wants to get better and you really feel you found the way, it's scary to let that go. But I promise you something so much more profound is ready to catch you. If you can really allow yourself to step back and not be afraid of the mind and spirituality, guys, in, in, in a lot of the new age, you'll hear the slogans again, get out of your head and into your heart. I'm a feeling person. I'm not a thinking person. I just don't like that style. I'm a feeling person. I just want to get into the body and into the emotions. I want to use my feminine intelligence and intuition. Mind is masculine and ugh, it's not for me. Guys, if you buy into this, you're not only shooting yourself in the foot, you're shooting yourself in the head, uh, metaphorically speaking. And it's a grave mistake. Uh, and you, you may think, you may be buying yourself some time for now, but you're going to become stressed. Here comes the stress of spirituality. The stress that that causes, may, you may not even realize you have it, but having to keep up with that denial, you couldn't say, I don't like the thinking, I like the feeling without the, the mind. So you're, you become a living contradiction. You become, you have to, do all kinds of backbends, so to speak, and loop-de-loops and sidesteps to be able to live up to your own uh, illusion that you are somehow outside of mind. You can't get outside of mind. And to try to be outside of mind and call it spirituality isn't spirituality. It's the antithesis of spirituality. Furthermore, there is no feeling without mind. Mind and feeling, you're, you, the very fact that you're dividing them and saying head and heart, consciousness and body, mind and feelings, that is exactly the confession, whether you mean to make it or not. 
that your thinking is still in an objectified mind space. So you're, you become the subjected to your own, um, lack of awareness on that level, which becomes, uh, again, it's violent because you're dividing yourself. You're, you're separating your mind from your body and you're disabling yourself. You're, you're, you're handicapping yourself willingly without maybe realizing that that's what you're doing because I didn't, not until I went through enough suffering. And the fact is you'll have to go through enough suffering too. You might not like what I'm saying. You might turn this off. You might tune it out. You haven't suffered enough. You need to go through the suffering of what it means to try to get to source by avoiding what I'm asking you to do, which is awesome, tapping an awesome mind power. And when we say, oh, I just want to just blows my mind. That's an awesome feeling, isn't it? Well, that's what we're talking about. The ultimate form of blowing your mind, blowing your mind wide open. So when we say get out of the head and into the heart, okay, by contrast, that feels really good. It's like, yeah, okay, cool. It's like, I can just focus on feelings, but that's only going to last as a, as a remedy for so long before you have to again, come to, but I got to face the mind. I have to face the fact that every waking and sleeping moment of my life has mind, awareness, consciousness, interpretation. And that if I don't face that, then I'm running from it. And if I'm running from it, I'm procrastinating the most important leap, which is again, it's so awesome and so invigorating. And so like, oh, and so I, I describe it to my, um, my students and my clients and my one-on-ones and often as when I got my mind back, because I see this again and again and again. And I realize why source had me go through these, these experiences of being in that role so that I can speak intelligently to it. <clears throat> I know what it feels like to have mind phobia. In other words, you sense without maybe even realizing what exactly what you're sensing, that having to think on this deeper level requires an incredible amount of energy and, and rigor and uprightness, for goodness sake, in the, in the most beautiful sense, because that's what life asks us to do. And we would love to find a bypass. You may have even heard the term spiritual bypass and and I don't believe that whoever coined that term really understood necessarily the depth of what he or she was coining, but spiritual bypass with lowercase s is exactly what I'm speaking of. But it's not just a bypass of lowercase r reality. So that's how it's usually termed. Like, you know, you're just spiritually bypassing, get back to reality. Well, reality is, is a bypass. <laughs> if you can really step back and see it, that our whole, what we call reality is again in that is governed by that interpretive space. To get to real reality, we all have to make the same crossing. We all have to see that whatever flavor of objectified mind we have, we all have objectified mind and it's a bad habit and it's a deep habit and it's an old habit. So old that, you know, it was being called out thousands of years ago by some of the greatest revered teachings that we still read today. We're, which we're not understanding fully yet, but we're all saying, we're all calling out this deep, uh, this deep issue. So spiritual bypass becomes a way of going, well, I'm just going to go through the body and then I don't have to do that. So I'm going to just, you know, <laughs> I'm just going to, I don't want to have to go through the rigor of, of open, of, of uh, <clears throat> really stepping into mind power. 
So I'll take the stress instead of fooling myself by saying, I don't need that. All I need is chanting, dancing, and um, breath work, and yoga, and, you know, and I'm just going to do that. And as long as I eat, you know, if as long as I'm a vegan, and I drink lots of, uh, you know, activated water, and I just think happy thoughts, and I have a vision board, and I, I get a massage every week, and I'm going to make sure that I say only loving things, and I'm going to read my angel cards, and I'm going to, I mean, just on and on and on. Guys, I did it all. <clears throat> And I'm not coming from a disillusioned space, but what I'm saying is all of those methods used as a bypass in in lieu of the real work is not going to relieve you of the deepest anxiety and stress that all humans are facing. You almost become a slave to to having to fool yourself and convince yourself. If you go to any one of these gatherings, you'll see it. If you see it with these eyes, you'll see, oh my God, our only choice is to see that we're not doing it or to really make ourselves believe that we are doing it. And you can see it and you can feel it when you start to become sensitized to it. And this is again, not a put down of anyone. It's saying, guys, we don't have time to waste anymore. That's what unambeing.com is is about. It's it's everything here is in this Portals of Presence podcast. It's all about there's no time to waste. You can feel the cry happening 24/7 now. I mean, it's 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 come to such a screaming intensity in our world. We can no longer cover our eyes and bury our heads in the sand and plug our ears and 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 etch out a little space for ourselves or we don't have to do the real work. We got to do the real work, but the good news is it's wonderful work. It's beautiful work. It's empowering work. It's simplifying. Oh my god, we are so fragmented and we're we're so fragmented and fractured that we can't even see the fracture, the fractured state that we're in. But if we just take a look around, we can see it in the culture. If you can just look at your life, you can see it in your life and how fractured and fragmented we are in our bodies, you know, how alienated we are in so many ways from the unum, from the, from the, the, the real source light. And so we, when we come together on this, that is the real activism. That's the real change. The shift from the matrix of the mind space that we've been so used to that we forgot it's there, don't know it's there, never knew it was really there, to being able to see from real, from the real mind. <clears throat> it's not a given. It's not granted. We have to step into it. We have to work for it. We have to earn it. We have to grow into it. We have to develop it. And you can, and we can. And then we will be qualified and, and capable of, of, of ushering in the shifts that we love to talk about in the spiritual communities. Shift and the birth and the um, transformation and the enlightenment and the awakening and all of these words are just getting cheapened because anybody can say it. You can say awakening all you want, 
But if you don't realize that it's badass and that it's that we're not starting from scratch here, but it ain't just granted and and you know, chanting's not gonna get us there. Chanting can help us, you know, f- feel good, and that's wonderful. And eating clear can help us, and that's great. And and powerful medicines that are being just, you know, used so f- frivolously, like ayahuasca, uh, you know, and, and these these powerful medicines that people are being thrust into the wide open spaces that they that they open before you're even ready, and traumatizing countless people, and myself included. You know, the the the, the just the deep malpractice of spirituality. It's, you know, again, it's not okay. I'm saying it's not okay. It's understandable that we would do that because why the drive to get home to source is powerful, but when it gets misdirected and we start to, we start to try to go through objectified medicines, objectified spirituality, objectified positivity, objectified um, dietary changes and methods and objectified breath and objectified yoga, and we're doing all of these things, it's malpractice at the deepest level. And there's no quality control out there. I mean, anybody can slap a sign up that says, I'm a, I'm a healer. I'm a spiritual teacher. I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I'm a yoga instructor. And, and, and so we just go, oh, we've got the title. So, you know, or I'm enlightened or follow me. I'm confident. I'll teach you how to be confident. I'm happy. I'll show you how you can get what you want too. And all of these different modes of that we that we give over to are all in the objectified space. And then we we drain ourselves and we hurt ourselves and we even traumatize ourselves trying to get to source that way. And so yeah, I'm going to speak strongly about it because, you know, I feel badly for everyone who's going through that right now. All, all because we don't know any better. I didn't know any better. You know, I, and I wish I wish I had someone there to say, you know, Noth, you don't need to do that to yourself. It's so much more immediate. It's so much more right here, and you can you can re- reclaim your mind and venture into the most wonderful po- uh, frontier of all, which is the frontier of our consciousness, which is a badass endeavor, and it doesn't cost you a dime. You know, I would I would have. W- Loved to have had somebody say that to me. And you know what? And even if they did, I might've still said, yeah, whatever, dude. And still had to go through the suffering that I did indeed go through and the trauma that I went through, putting myself through those things to, to try to get to the truth and try to try to feel good. You know, and I'll tell you, I've never felt better in my life, but it's not because I changed my diet. Um, it's not because I, uh, stopped eating anything in particular, stopped drinking anything in particular. It's not because I practice yoga every day because I don't, <laughs> I do. That's what this is, is, is the ultimate form of yoga that I do practice yoga 24 seven. But when I say yoga, I know you, you think of the, the mat and the poses. I don't do that every day, guys. You don't need to. You don't need to. It's a compensation. A lot of these spiritual practices are compensating for the lack of the real deal. So a lot of yoga out there is compensation for the lack of yoga, ironically. The lack of real yoga, which again, it's not out there, guys. It's right here. The consciousness, the mind. Um, And again, you can say those words, but we've got to upgrade all of them. And that is a science, the purest of all sciences, the purest of all rationality and the purest of spirituality. And it's exciting to be a part of that endeavor. And, and, and so 
I'm here to help you on that path. It's like we all have the bullshit detector in us all the time. Because why? Because as long as you have a heartbeat, there's you are you are woven into the fabric of reality. You you are connected to truth at the deepest level. The problem is that we get so alienated from that that our our bullshit detector is rendered um, useless. Because we don't even know how to listen to it. We don't know how to empower it. We just, we get swept away with the the opinions and everything is just opinions. There is no truth. So you just got to pick your favorite opinion and just go with that. And this is the best we got. But we know deep down that's not okay. But as you get the, the, the rational powers, capital R rational powers that are waiting for us to be activated, you, you become so, that's happiness. That's uh, confidence. That's truth. That's alignment. That's spirituality. That's science. That's Jesus. That's Buddha. That's Lao Tzu. That's Feng Shui. That's indigenous. This is where we meet. This is the portal to presence. So the bottom line is we're all experiencing the stress of some form of objectified ideology. And just because it's spiritual and open-minded, relatively speaking, does not mean you've left the objectified ideology space. You're still subjected to the ideologizer. And that's what's killing us. And that's what's fragmenting us. And that's what's tearing us apart and leading to all the violence inward and outward. Guys, if we don't get this, every ounce of effort is wasted. This is exciting because it simplifies the picture, the task at hand before we do anything else. We've been putting the cart before the horse long enough, the symptoms before the source. Let's get to the source now and and join me on this journey. It's ever unfolding and ever deepening. And you are a part of it. So I will see you next time. Thank you for for following with me. Thank you for listening. Um, Really at the deepest level, love and appreciation for everyone out there. We are all part of the, the one beating heart of humanity. And we are going to rise and meet. And we are. So love to every last one of you, no matter how different. Love to every one of you. And I will see you and hear you next time on Portals of Presence.